This is a relay project. Seriously starts now. Here's Sapria and Ryan. Hey, it's Wednesday, November 30th, and you're listening to Seriously with Sapria and Ryan. I am Sapria DeVetti in Toronto. And I am Ryan Jesperson in the center of the universe, Alberta. <laughs> hey, that is a, a title that we normally take here. Yeah, uh, but we're I'll taking give it, to it back because we've had enough with your <laughs> interference with Alberta's right to sovereignty and being the center of the freaking universe. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, We're all walking with a l- bit more swagger these days, Sabria, <laughs> in this part of the country. We've got a lot to talk about, oh, clearly, sure um, on the Alberta front. Um, can we just, though, really quickly talk about how it's already November 30th? Like, um, it's December mm-hmm. very soon. Mm-hmm. And then what? And yeah. then the year's over. And then somehow it's 2023. I'm not really sure how any of this happened, but... Uh, Whatever. Passage of time. Well, aside cool. from the birth of our son and the launch of Seriously, uh, I'm ready to flush the toilet on 2022. So uh, I'm actually welcoming 2023. But you're right. I'm, I'm, I'm realizing as you say this that I've got about two and a half, three weeks to figure out my holiday gift giving. And that's always a bit of a challenge. The biggest challenge isn't finding the perfect gift. It's finding a way to make it look like you figured it out months ago. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. Um, and like being able to come off as like super thoughtful and not as though you bought it on like December twenty third. Yeah, from London Drugs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, a bag of Werther's original. <laughs> Thank you very much. How thoughtful. Uh, we've got a lot to get into uh, on the Alberta front, as you know, we've already sort of uh, teased out. But I think there's a couple of things that happened in the last couple of weeks because, you know, we were off uh, last week. Ryan looked like you had a great time, by the way, um, with mm-hmm. your family. I hope you enjoyed the time off. Yeah, we um, spent some time in the mountains, which is really great to get out there. We're not usually on uh, on the ski slopes in November, you know, like really yeah. early season. But it, but it sort of like helped my mental transition into the winter months. And now I don't know about where you are. I don't know about in. In, no uh, in the big smoke, but we're looking at like we're flirting with minus 30 degrees this week. And so it's it's best to be able to to uh, sort of embrace it and wrap your mind around it, you know, before your fingers go numb and your boots freeze in the boot room. And you wonder uh, for about five months every year why we live here. You try yeah. to remind yourself. But again, like I said earlier, it's because we are a free and sovereign province. <laughs> That's why we live here. We are the envy of the world. What else did you want to talk about? Oh, I just wanted to very quickly mention that on this side of the country, um, Premier Doug Ford saw a pretty key piece of uh, his legislative agenda be struck down by the courts. It's Bill 124. It was that wage capping law um, that a lot of very smart folks were saying was likely going to be struck down and, you know, that it was very unfair to nurses in particular um, and everyone else who was sort of covered by it because because it was capping their wages uh, below the rate of inflation. Um, and, you know, given everything that's going on with the healthcare system, it just seemed kind of dumb to poke your finger in the eye of very hardworking people right now. It's a bad look. Um, it's a tough look. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, also not super 
for the little guy, right, or for the people. Uh, anyway, the Ford government has said um, that they're looking to appeal the decision, so it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But I just wanted to throw that out there because this has been a lot of there's been a lot of talk about this bill, um, you know, particularly in Ontario. And so, just figured we'd, it's worth you know updating folks. Yeah, on, but you know. um, is it still a buck of beer though? No, it's not even. I don't oh. even know how we got. Yeah, it's not even a buck of beer. Exactly. So, that was a very limited time thing. Yeah, that was a limited. And it was shitty beer. Yeah, that, that that's when the little guys should have figured out that the big guys weren't for them, uh, yeah. is, is when beer went over a buck in the province of Ontario. Before we get to our headline, before we get to what everybody across the country is talking about, including federal political leaders, uh, Premier Daniel Smith's Bill 1, this, this, uh, this Sovereignty Act within the United Canada, by the way. I like that second tack on. We'll get to that mm-hmm. in a second. But I wanted to ask you something. We promise our subscribers, we love our Seriously listeners, our viewers that join us every single week. We promise, Sabria, that we'll cut through the noise. And there's a story that's in a way, flying below the surface, and, and I was hoping that maybe you could spell it out for us in a way that, that we don't all sound dumb talking about it at holiday parties. Uh, the RCMP investigating this alleged Chinese involvement. Now, I know we can get into the weeds on this kind of thing, but but when it comes to what really matters or why this is significant or how people sniff it out or what to keep an eye on, how would you break this one down? Yeah, it's a great question. And I would say just, you know, quickly that uh, to give folks a little bit of background, uh, a couple of weeks ago, Global News, um, through the, one of their really good reporters, uh, Sam Cooper, had a, a great sort of scoop uh, in which he his reporting um, revealed that the Trudeau government um, would have been briefed by intelligence officials on the Chinese uh, government's interference or Chinese interference, I should rather say, in terms of our election in 2019. And so it's, you know, if you recall, in 2021, after the election, the conservatives were making the case that uh, there were a few ridings that were targeted by uh Chinese interference, um, which ended up flipping at least a few of those writings to the liberals. Now, that is different than what happened in, in 2019. And now the RCMP is saying that they had no evidence in 2019 about any sort of such interference, but they are investigating. But of course, in true Canadian fashion, they're not being you know, transparent in the least and not really giving us a ton of information other than to say that they're investigating something. But it's also worth pointing out that CSIS and the RCMP kind of work on different definitions of what that may or may not um, constitute. And bottom line, I would just point out to folks that when we talk about election interference more generally, um, it can mean a lot of things. And so, you know, we all seem to think of election interference as being this grandiose thing where you're uh, really targeting voters and getting them to do something that they wouldn't have already done otherwise. But election interference can also mean or like interfering in, in somebody's democracy or a country's democracy can also mean just like sowing discord and making people distrust each other more or, you know, putting out information to a diaspora community in the language and the media that they and the social media that they consume in order for them to, you know, disengage from the process right. um, and be a little bit more, you know, about the democracy more generally. And that's also interference. Um, It's just not as like 
sexier headline grabbing as, um, you know, hacking into like, I know we don't do voting machines, but in the, in the US context, like hacking into voting machines or something like that. Um, so yeah, I mean, keep your eye on it. I think um, it's this is pairs well with the fact that uh, Minister Jolie um, unveiled the Indo-Pacific strategy for, for Canada. And, you know, we'll still have to see in terms of details where that um, pans out. But I think it's good that we're starting to take a little bit of a more serious um you know, gr- uh, stance on this because we shouldn't let people fuck around with our democracy. <laughs> yeah, I think that's such a good point that you make that it, it doesn't always have to be a scenario where where a, a third party or a foreign entity or a threat to Canadian democracy or what have you, however you want to characterize it, is endeavoring to achieve the end result of a specific party or leader achieving or preserving power. It can be planting the seeds of doubt in the process and the validity of the outcome, uh, you know, creating cracks in the foundation of the entire system. Uh, And we've seen what can happen in the U.S. and for that matter, in Canada as well, but particularly in the United States, January 6th, you had hundreds, if not thousands of people and millions of people across the country to our southern border that that basically don't believe that the election result is valid. And that empowers people to do a whole bunch of things obviously that that threatens the you know the security the safety and the future of the nation and uh, and it really is a big deal um, and I think it's good that we're talking about it that whole RCMP we're investigating thing uh, I understand I understand that police investigations need to have integrity etc but I can think of several scenarios I, I mean I mean even the, the alleged kamikaze campaign it feels like forever now that he's resigned yesterday we'll talk about it former Alberta Premier Jason Kenney RCMP still claim they're investigating allegations of a kamikaze campaign in his 2017 leadership. That was five years ago. This isn't some cold case. This isn't some, I mean, it just, to me, I I get it. We're members of the general public. Every individual working in law enforcement listening to this is going to be rolling their eyes so hard they're getting a migraine headache. (laughs) Uh, But I think it's hard for the, the general public to wrap their minds around how we're investigating is supposed to quell any concerns about the status of, of where something's at. Uh, one of the, you talk about December sneaking up on us early and uh, wanted to put this up on the radar. Obviously, some of us have already started our holiday shopping. Some of us have been done it for months. What about you? Mm-mm, I have not. No, no, me, me neither, my friend. Well, apparently one thing that comes along with holiday shopping is an increase in cyber attacks and fraud. Uh, you might assume that to be the case, right? I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, it totally does. And there was actually an interesting news story that came out just last week. Uh, the Retail and Hospitality ISAC, a cyber security focused association, released a report that said threats of fraud, you know, phishing emails, account takeovers, as well as return fraud are expected to peak going into December. That's yeah, not very festive. No, not very festive at all. Not for Christmas, not for Festivus, not for any of it. And it's a good reminder of how important it is to make sure that your team gets proper training on cybersecurity, no matter what industry they're working. Yeah, for sure. In fact, working with a training partner like We Know Training uh, can help protect your business from risks like these. They're expert e-learning teams designed training that actually changes behavior, which is a big deal. So your employees will retain and actually act on what they learn. Totally. And We Know Training specializes in training for regulated industries, and they are so much more than just your standard LMS. Yeah, they do it all from creating to hosting, selling your courses and optimizing to get you real business results. And if you need to train your team, they offer a scalable solution that's ideal for high stakes training that really matters. Yeah. If you want to work with a training partner that truly understands your needs, has solutions to your challenges and delivers amazing value against your business goals, talk to We Know Training. 
You can visit their website at weknowtraining.ca. The lead. We are finally telling the federal government, no more. It's time to stand up for Alberta. Bill 1, the Alberta Sovereignty Within a United Canada Act, is a first step in standing up for Albertans and pushing Ottawa back into its own lane. When passed, this legislation will create a constitutional legal framework for Alberta to push back against federal interference and encroachment. So that's Alberta Premier Danielle Smith, Bill 1, in the fall sitting of the Alberta Legislature, introducing her much-awaited Alberta Sovereignty Act, which she promised... Uh, through her campaign for the leadership of the United Conservative Party. It empowers Smith's government, uh, Supriya, to order provincial authorities to refuse to enforce any federal law or policy that it believes harms Alberta. As a matter of fact, the, the cabinet, the provincial cabinet, can essentially circumvent the Alberta legislature. Now, what's really significant about this, and I know what we want to dig into today uh, about this is kind of what are being described as like king-like powers, right? To amend legislation, it's it it it's it's being slammed as undemocratic, as a threat to democracy in Alberta. Uh, once that the legislature, obviously dominated by a majority UCP government, approves a rev- resolution that it has a problem with, you know, for example, um, regulations on fertilizer or initiatives uh, relating to firearms legislation. There's nothing in the bill that would stop this essentially rewriting power, a law rewriting power of the premier or of her lieutenants. And it's obviously got people talking from coast to coast to coast. Because it's insane. That's why people are talking about it. It is anti-democratic and it is just cuckoo banana pants territory that any government, let alone a government that purports to, you know, be libertarian or civic liberty minded, civil liberty minded is um, not only flirting with this, but is has proposed this. So first, from like a legal perspective, let's just point out that you can't just just because you don't like a law uh, federally doesn't mean you could be like, we're not going to follow it. Like, that's not how any of this works. Um, there are clear jurisdictional you know, divisions between the provinces and the feds. And I certainly am sympathetic to the fact that there are a uh, few at least key pieces of legislation from this iteration of the federal government that really sticks in the craw of many Albertans, right? Like, I get that. I, I don't think that's lost on anybody. But when we're talking about getting cabinet to be able to basically forego any sort of democratic process for bringing a challenge, a constitutional challenge forward, or ha- being, you know, giving cabinet the, the power to be able to just amend legislation willy nilly by not having a, you know, a debate on the floor of the legislature or doing any of the other, you know, processes that we have is insane. Um, and I'm not really sure uh, what the play here is other than the fact that she campaigned on this. And so she feels as though, and her team feels as though, and I understand why they do, that they had to put this forward. But, you know, there's a lot of different angles we can go on this. But let me just say that as somebody who like grew up in Quebec and who like lived through at least one referendum, um, businesses like continuity, um, businesses like uh, figure, you know, stability and putting this forward just, I think, throws the entirety of the business community in, in Alberta uh, a little bit of a, you know, a, a 
a, I, I'm trying to think of a sports metaphor here. What's a like a boomerang? I mean, a boomerang. What am I thinking of? Are you trying like to a, think of a like fastball a, or like you know what I mean? A like curveball, maybe curveball. There you go, curveball. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you, Mister Sportsman. You could yeah, say a knuckleball. A, curve, you know? a knuckleball. Okay, yeah. one of those balls. Yeah, throwing balls all over the place, <laughs> and it's just not great. And um, you know. Montreal lost a lot of headquarters to Toronto. There's mm. a huge Quebec brain drain, um, you know, that 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 is still somewhat ongoing. Um, I don't know if this is the future that Alberta wants. And I think Albertans really need to ask themselves if like this is the kind of representation they want. Yeah, we, we all understand how politics works. But I also think it's important to point out that that uh, Premier Smith's uh, competitors through that UCP leadership race that described her plan for this Alberta Sovereignty Act as as, as undemocratic, as concerning, as a threat to democracy, as a threat to business stability, as a threat to investment, uh, are now voting for it in the Alberta legislature now that they're back in her cabinet, which is something to keep an eye on, although I'm not sure that anybody's surprised there. One key point that needs to be made is, is, is the way that Canada works is that independent courts, and if you run it all the way up, the Supreme Court of Canada typically decides what is a threat to uh, to a province, what is unconstitutional or the way that something should play out. Not the premier and her cabinet and not without running something through the legislature, to say the very least. So what does this do with regards to, I mean, let me ask you, rephrase the question. How viable is this and what happens? The prime minister would lead Canadians to believe that it's not something that he's sweating right now. On the record, last night, he told reporters that, you know, the federal liberal government is going to continue to respond to what it perceives to be Albertans' top priorities, which is affordability, cost of living, climate change, etc. cetera. Uh, but at the same time, you know, at some point, these bulls are going to lock horns. I don't know if they will. And that's interesting because if I'm the federal government, right, I'm looking at this and I'm just letting Smith and her government basically do this to themselves. Like sh they're shooting themselves in the foot here. And, you know, it's it's interesting because when we talk, I talked about this last night on Power and Politics, and I, I kind of likened it to when your toddler's having a bit of a meltdown. You know, you don't engage. Uh, you let them cry it out. You let them have their tantrum. And then when they're ready to use their words and they're ready to, you know, have an actual conversation, that's when you do that. And this right now isn't actually having a conversation. It's not sitting down um, with like, you know, two equals as trying to do something. This is Smith basically unilaterally saying that her government, for whatever reason, is some somehow above the powers of normal democracy. And that's not something I think the federal government, irrespective of whether it's a liberal one or a conservative one, should be engaging with because it sets a really terrible fucking precedent there. Yeah, it's uh, also interesting to point out that the, the, the bill itself, the title of, of the bill includes the within a united Canada, right? The Alberta sovereignty within a united Canada. And uh, that's something that, that Premier Smith was, was uh, pointed out quite deliberately when she rolled this out on Tuesday. And in speaking with reporters after, she said that this is not a move toward Alberta separation, which I'm sure will be some disappointment, at least to some of her supporters. But she was clear to point that out. And so navigating what this relationship's going to look like uh, is, is going to be an interesting one. Is it fair to say, is it safe to say that when Albertans tick down the months and then weeks to a provincial election in May of 2023, that it's way better uh, if you're if you're writing Daniel Smith's playbook, a lot of sports metaphors in today's show. <laughs> if you're writing the Daniel Smith playbook, isn't it way better for it to be Daniel Smith versus Justin Trudeau on the campaign trail than Daniel Smith versus Rachel Notley? Sure, but like, if somebody's not engaging, 
is it really a Smith versus Trudeau or, or, you know, provincial Alberta government versus federal government? Or is it just like somebody that's kind of complaining and raving about um, and, you know, talking to yeah, but, uh, you a know, bunch of empty. Yeah. But, you know, sorry, but you know, the whole, you know, the whole dynamic, like the, the whole dynamic is that, is that he is the Laurentian elite, right? Sure. He, he's, he's the Eastern creep and bum to quote former premier Ralph Klein. And so, so with, you know, in, in some circumstances when the prime minister, uh, is at risk of coming across as a bit smug and dismissive if he completely ignores this, if his approach is to completely ignore the toddler tantrum, then doesn't it also, if it's properly managed by a former talk show host like Alberta's Premier, doesn't it have the potential to come across like the Prime Minister ignoring and dismissing Alberta's concerns? I'm not playing devil's advocate. I'm just trying to imagine the dynamic of how this is going to play out. Yeah, no, and it's good to play that, you know, can't, that that exercise. Um, but no, I don't think so, and this is why because until there is something, and you know, presumably there are going to, um, you know, at least pinpoint a few pieces of legislation in which uh, this act will come into play. Um, until that happens, I'm not really sure what he would engage with. So you have to give something up in in order for there to be a sort of back and forth. And if there is going to be a back and forth, then, you know, you kind of have to let that process play out via uh, individual Albertans or organizations bringing up a challenge to this. Now, I... I, I totally get that there's a risk here in uh, coming across as being a smug fucking Laurentian elite who doesn't give a shit about legitimate concerns that real Albertans have. Um, and I am sympathetic to that argument, but I don't really think that should be the prime minister's main focus or goal, um, irrespective of the fact that, you know, there is an election happening um, in Alberta in like five ish, six months time. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know. I just don't know. It just seems a lot more headache for him to get involved in this than sure. to just let it sort of play out on its own by itself. Here's, uh, here's something. I, think, go yeah, ahead. Go. I keep stepping on your toes. No, 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 no. Go, we, go, go. We need to be in studio together so you can just I give know, me slaps across the table. <laughs> let me finish. Uh, here's something that'll catch Albertans' attention. And, and here's something that I think is important. Jason Markusov's done great reporting on this for the CBC. People can check it out. But 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 the act also uh, severely limits Albertans' rights yeah. to yeah. challenge use of the act's superpowers in courts, right? So so while Premier Smith describes this as a shield against Ottawa, it also shields her government from Albertans who, who would have concerns, right? Like people will have 30 days to challenge any decision made under Normally the sovereignty. Six months. six months, usually. So so it's, what is that, 15% of the time? Anybody trying to la- launch a challenge has to meet what are being described as unusually high standards, legal standards to knock it down. And it also immunizes anybody carrying out the act's provisions from any civil liability, including cabinet ministers and MLAs. So this is something that I think is, the, the more that Albertans come to understand the implications of this, and this will happen in the days to come as shows like this dig into it, as people hear from more and more pundits and legal experts and, and political scientists and the like, when people start to realize that this is something that could be used against them, then they might take maybe some of the bigger concerns a little bit more seriously. Yeah, I, I think that's probably about right. Um, but can I just say one last thing on this? Because I know we've got a lot to get into. Um, it, there's just, I just don't understand how somebody can claim to be a libertarian 
and claim to be standing up for civil liberties and claim to be against government overreach and claim to be for freedom and then proposing legislation that is arguably somewhat borderline dictatorial. Um, And I don't say that lightly, right? And it's, you know, you and I both know Danielle a little bit. Um, I think she's smart. I think she is unfortunately kind of insulated herself in a right-wing echo chamber and perhaps doesn't realize that the second you step out of that echo chamber and that algorithmically induced sort of bubble that we've all tend to wrap ourselves in, um, people tend to think a little bit differently. And uh, I, I just think this is such a gift to Rachel Notley because she can then, and the NDP can then hammer home on concerns about healthcare, on concerns about affordability, and on presenting themselves as like a real alternative for Albertans. You know, it's, it's always a great exercise, I think, uh, whether you're evaluating something in politics or business or otherwise. Uh, if, if you flip the switch, if you, if you turn the scenario 180 degrees and ask if my opponents did this, would I be okay with it? <laughs> if Justin Trudeau <laughs> yeah. gave his cabinet authority to rewrite laws without parliament, how would you feel about it? Also, there's this. Um, let's talk about Jason Kenney, because like that's another thing going on, right? He's peacing out. Are you surprised? Yeah, I'm not surprised at all. Jason Kenney, uh, uh, what do you say? Tendering his, re- submitting his resignation? Resigning effective immediately. Uh, yesterday, that would, if you're listening to this, uh, the day that this comes out, submitting his resignation on Tuesday, uh, thanking the, the general public, in particular the citizens uh, of South Calgary, uh, who gave him uh, mandates, uh, winning elections, big election victories uh, over the course of 25 years, of course, first in Parliament for many years, uh, and then uh, in the Alberta legislature, uh, said that he's uh, concerned. You want me, want me to read the quote? Actually, this is from a statement that he released. This is, this is to me, um, the part that we got to get into. Now, he says that, uh, you know, he's concerned, quote, that our democratic life is veering away from ordinary prudential debate toward a polarization that undermines our bedrock institutions and principles. Uh, Says Alberta's former premier, from the far left, we see efforts to cancel our history, delegitimize our historically grounded institutions and customs, and divide society dangerously along identity lines. And from the far right, we see a vengeful anger and toxic cynicism, which often seeks to tear things down rather than build up and improve our imperfect institutions. I, I, I'm trying to put a finger on where some of that anger and toxic cynicism may have come from on the far right. I'm trying to think of who may have fanned the flames of that for the past, I don't know, five years in Alberta. I'm just, I'm, it's not, it's kind of like, it's, I can't quite put my finger on it. But I'm trying to think of, like, if you had to pick one person that may have poured gasoline on this dumpster fire for the last five years, who might that one out of four and a half million people, who, ah, might it be the guy that just wrote that fucking letter? Ah, <laughs> uh, Yeah, yeah. Um, I read that, and the first thing that sprang to my mind was this tweet that went viral a few years ago. I never thought leopards would eat my face. 
sobs woman who voted for the leopards eating people's faces party, um, because that's essentially what's happened here. Right. Uh, to your point, there's a lot of fan of, you know, flame fanning going on, a lot of pouring of gasoline on on this. And then, you know, shock and surprise that the leopards are eating their faces. Yeah, this is what happens. And like, holy false equivalency, Batman, in that fucking statement. Yes, you're right. There are uh, in, there is increasing polarization. But the notion that the far left and the far right both pose the same sort of threat to our democracy and pose the same sort of threat to, you know, our discourse and our and our poisoning um, the way we, we talk about politics is just so out to lunch um, that I don't even really know where to begin. But one thing he does touch on is the notion of effective polarization. And that is interesting because there is some, you know, data to reflect the fact that we're all becoming distrustful of one another based on um, whatever in and out groups we tend to position ourselves in. So like, for example, people will automatically hate somebody because that they know that they're like voting um, for a conservative or a right-leaning party versus a left-leaning party. And that's bad. And that is getting worse. But it, a lot of the reason, to your point, why we're here is because you've had a lot of folks fan those fucking flames, man. And now we're dealing with all this shit. And like, yeah. I don't know if you were paying much attention. I, I hope you weren't while you were on vacation, if I'm being honest. But like last week during the inquiry, we got some evidence to suggest that Candace Bergen, who was then interim leader of the conservatives, was a fuck ton more reasonable in private than she in, than she was in public. Right. And like said to the PM that she didn't want him to set a bad precedent. Um, and, you know, she was willing to be as supportive as as possible. Um, and, you know, I think the question is, why can't we have our politicians be somewhat more normal and somewhat more, you know, less partisan um, in public anymore? Like, is this just where we are? Can, can I can I invoke another sports metaphor? Yes, please. It's like in the 1970s when, when the Philadelphia Flyers uh, won those couple of Stanley Cups, the Broad Street Bullies, they did it. Uh, the whole premise of it, Sapria was like, we'll, we'll beat you in the alley and then we'll beat you on the ice. And they would just kick the shit out of teams, basically, right? These big bruisers led by Bobby Clark and, and the rest. And, and, and what happened was into the, the late 70s and then into the early 1980s, and then you look at what happened with hockey's goon culture, uh, which I loved, by the way. Uh, but, but every team had to beef up. Every team had to bring in enforcers. There had to be stunt fighting off the opening faceoffs. Things would be settled on the ice, the game policing itself. And if you were a team that would be run out of the barn, so to speak have the shit kicked out of you you weren't gonna win and i wonder if that's the state of politics right now now the good news is sticking on the sports metaphor because i could talk about hockey all day is that the game evolves to what some might argue is a more fan friendly or more pure or more reasonable or dare i say more gentlemanly approach uh, to, to, to speak specifically to the national hockey league i'd love to see politics get back to that I don't know if that's going to happen in the short term because if you look at what's winning people elections right now uh, everybody's looking ahead to the United States wondering what 2024 is going to look like that's going to become more and more of a talking point including on this show uh, in the months to come uh, I think that people have reason to be concerned one other quick point I saw in responses to Mr. Kenny releasing that statement his resignation somebody said you're concerned about people trying to cancel history the guy who hired a residential school denier, Chris <laughs> yeah. Champion, to write Alberta's curriculum. You're concerned about erasing history. But, of course, Jason's worried about the statues. 
And like, fuck the statues. Okay, can we just like put that out there? Like, I just I don't understand this like weird attachment people have to statues of shitty people who did shitty things. We can acknowledge our history by, you know, being truthful about what went down and not trying to paper over it to hold on to some sort of nostalgic sense of our historical figures that belies the truth. Seriously? Lena McConnell, Lena McConnell, in light of what you said, that there's no room in your party for anyone who harbors these anti-Semitic views, if Donald Trump wins the Republican nomination, would you support him? Look, let me just say again, there is simply no room in the Republican Party for anti-Semitism or white supremacy. And that would apply to all of the leaders in the party who will be seeking offices. That was Huckleberry Hound impersonator Mitch McConnell doing his best not to answer a very simple question. They're obviously going to support Trump. Obviously, all this talk about not supporting anybody who is into anti-Semitism or white supremacy is bullshit. And we know that. Um, But like, great to have a presser, Mitch. Good job. Good job. And good job to you, Supriya, and the rest of the Seriously team. We're always excited when we see new subscriptions, people sharing our content, liking, subscribing, and rating the podcast. You can learn more about what we're doing online at seriouslypod.com. Follow us on Instagram as well, uh, Twitter, and uh, yeah, Ryan mentioned you can always follow our website. See you next week, buddy. See you next week. Seriously is hosted by Supriya Dwavedi and Ryan Jesperson. Technical producer, John Hicks. Executive producer, Josh Dunford. Account coordinator, Lawrence Turlego. General manager, Katie Cook-Shivers. Human resources, Lena Shepard. Voiceover by me, Tanji. Seriously is a relay project. For more, check out seriouslypod.com.